Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Writers Toolshed. I'm your host Richie Billing and today I'm delighted to welcome back Abby from the fantastic YouTube channel Political Psych with Abby. As we continue on with our series on creating three-dimensional characters. Last time when Abby joined us, we delved into moral psychology, but I was keen to zoom in even further and discuss the mindsets of the two key characters of our stories, protagonists and antagonists. We look at the likes of self-interest and selflessness, manipulative behaviours and desires for control. It was an absolutely fascinating discussion and I'm sure you're going to learn something new some kind of new angle to help either understand the characters that you created a bit better or to help you create these uh, elusive lifelike characters that readers love before we get started uh, i just a, a quick reminder that if you enjoy the show please do show your support by giving us a follow or uh, subscribe love us enough to share a quick review or rating on the spotify mobile app please please do it it's a great way to help other people find us and and for us to reach a, a whole new audience so if you have left a review or a rating thank you so much it is massive massively appreciated if you know of anyone who may be interested in the show please do consider sharing it with them as well there are lots of share options on uh, all of the podcast platforms. Uh, so whatever you're listening on, please consider just a, a quick share on social media or with your writing group or anyone you know might be interested in likes of psychology, history, as well as, uh, as writing. If you would like to continue your learning beyond this podcast, head over to our Patreon page. You can find lots of fantastic resources like blog posts, uh, writing guides, a lot of free uh, content on there as well. You can also access fantasy writing classes. You can also get a copy of a fantasy writer's handbook and also access to uh, exclusive interviews on the likes of world building, um, which I've done and haven't shared anywhere else but Patreon. As well as this, I've also got a bunch of uh, new resources to share with you. Uh, with the links for everything you can find in the description, I've begun a new series on my website all devoted to world building. So there are three new guides that you can find the links to in the description. And I've also recently updated my list of fantasy novel publishers. So if you would like to access a copy of that list, just click the link in the description again. If you'd like more writing uh, advice, resources, or if you'd like to find people to partner up with to uh, do beta reading on your stories or your chapters, then head over to our writing group for more. Uh, we, we meet on Discord and on Facebook, and both are very, very active places. Lots of wonderful people in there, uh, all very helpful, all keen and enthusiastic to improve. Right, time to get on with the show, and uh, I'm delighted to welcome back Abby from the YouTube channel Political Psych with Abby for a chat about the psychology of villains and heroes. I am delighted to welcome back to the toolshed someone who's become kind of our resident psychologist, Abby from the fantastic YouTube channel Political Psych with Abby. How are you doing today? I'm good, I'm good. Um, and I think I'm legally in some states required to say that I am a political psychologist and not a social psychologist. And, I only <laughs> and that I'm not able to offer any sort of psychological or psychiatric advice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fantastic to have you back, Abby. Um, we've had loads of people, uh, emails and messages from 
Facebook, Instagram and all that, asking for, for more character creation topics. Some of our uh, chats on psychology have been some of the most popular episodes so far. So big thank you for taking the time to come back to, to chat with me again today. Yeah, no problem. Happy to be here. So previously, we've spoken quite broadly about psychology and how we can apply that to character creation. Last time, we spoke more about uh, moral psychology, which which was more of like sort of a focus on the mindset of characters. And today, I wanted to ask you if we could zoom the lens in even further and ask about villains and heroes and the kind of mindsets that characters like this have or the kind of traits that they have, which lead them down these opposing paths. I think villains for me are always the more interesting because there's something that you're not quite familiar with. You're not, it's a little bit unusual, a bit intriguing. And I'm always drawn to villains more than I am heroes. Don't know why. I was just a, a goth, goth child when I was growing up. Always <laughs> wanting the uh, Sauron to, to, to win in the end. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, I think we were chatting just before we started recording about like the key traits or key characteristics that villains have, which sort of, I, I find them quite interesting because while they are a bit broken, I really like this sort of new era of villains who, are, who sort of linger in, in the grey area between shadow and the light. And so t- tell us, like there's a wide variety of heroes, but uh, a villain, sorry, but what can you tell us? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's really important to keep in mind that most people in the world, real world who do bad things don't necessarily think of themselves as the bad guy, right? I mean, even if they're doing bad things, a lot of people are sort of protected by the way they process their like cognitive dissonance. And what that is, is the like the discord, the difference between people's actions and their beliefs, or it can be, I guess, between two different beliefs. But a lot of the time, if someone's actions don't align with their beliefs, you'd like to think, oh, well, they're going to change their actions. But a lot of the time, they'll change the beliefs instead. So people can end up with beliefs that wouldn't make you know much sense to a hero, but that make a lot of sense if you're sort of already in that villainous environment and you know people can sort of end up getting you know pushed into things, but then really believing in themselves. Um, and believing in the cause because that's how the brain is resolving that cognitive dissonance. Um, So that's a big part of it. And then it's also really important to keep in mind that like people do actually, and this is something we were talking about with, um, you know, um, the bit on morality, people have different, you know, morals. So you could have, you know, villains who think that they're doing the right thing, who have a very different moral code than the heroes or one that would be abhorrent to the readers. And then of course, there are these sort of uh, personality-related per- political variables. Whether they're personality traits or political traits is, is a bit controversial within political psychology, but I don't think it matters that much for fantasy writing. Those are uh, social dominance orientation and right-wing authoritarianism. Right-wing authoritarianism, that's basically a view that society should be very orderly, very traditional, um, everyone and everything in their space. Uh, in their own place that tends to correlate very heavily with conservatism in our own world but if world but if you go you know further into it it tends to correlate with um you know fascism and that kind of thing right um and so that can connect very heavily to totalitarianism and all sorts of you know villainous 
attitudes, villainous actions, that kind of thing. Also, um, you know, people who would go along with villains or be their sidekicks or that kind of thing would tend to be fairly high in those sorts of traits. Yeah. Uh, and then we come to social dominance orientation, and that's basically the view that the world should be a strict set of hierarchies. And if your heroes are advocating for a more equal world, then their villains are likely to be pretty high in, in social dominance orientation. Yeah. You know, we see many stories where it's the opposite. The hero is the totalitarian. <laughs> Although you do have a lot of stories, especially in like medieval fantasy and stuff, where like, you know, the hero is like a king or a prince yeah. or something, and like the justness and rightness of like a, you know, basically the feudal system is not called into question. And that is something that, you know, I'd love to see like more fantasy author, uh, authors, um, you know, questioning because like my, uh, my, the other element of my undergrad degree, other than psychology, was modern history. And so, you know, there's a lot of systems that you see paralleled in, in fantasy worlds that are not something that it makes a lot of sense to me to glorify. You know what yeah, I mean? Definitely, um, yeah, definitely. I've seen them times. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, another villainous motivation is just the, you know, the search for power or resources, right? Yeah. And that can be for one's own group or for one as an individual. Uh, and you know, that that draws from history a lot, too, because there's a lot of, you know, competition over resources, that kind of thing. You know, good old-fashioned greed is definitely a thing that exists. <laughs> I always um, think about Hitler. I mean, I, I studied history um, and we studied Hitler a lot. And a lot of people speculated about his his motives and like what was his, his sort of main driving force and there were so many motivations uh, behind everything he did but he's just like what was the sort of one thing you, you're never quite sure whether one thing's like an excuse to do something else or but yeah it's 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 yeah. it's that sort of complexity of character that i think is the real goal when you're writing fictional characters but it's so hard oh. to do because hum humans are so complex as you yeah. know all too well <laughs> yeah but i find that sometimes people you know especially when talking about history right they'll focus too much on like the great men of history and not enough on like the circumstances that led to their existence right yeah, like definitely yeah um you know like if if you're talking about hitler there are all these people who are like oh you know it's it's the it's a cliche example for time travel right of, uh, you know, if you go back in time and you shoot Hitler, you know, you do prevent World War II, right? And there's some chance that you don't, right? Because there are all these historical forces and that sort of thing. And that sort of thing, I think, is really important to keep in mind that, like, you know, historically, villains don't really arise and uh, attain power without forces around them, shaping them. Um, shaping the nature of their movement, that kind of thing, right? So they're they're yeah. not sort of organically existing, right? You need to think about, you know, why they would have supporters, that kind of thing. I mean, assuming that they're not operating completely alone, um, yeah. it is, I guess, you know, probably more common for villains to operate completely alone in fantasy stories than they would be able to in, um, you know, in the real world, right? Because in the real world, you got someone really villainous and they have an army, you have to have reasons of why people would be, uh, you know, coerced or willing to join that army. Uh, but, you know, in the fantasy world, you could have them be magic zombies or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You make a really good point there, though, that it's when you're, when you're creating your villains, to have an understanding of the circumstances 
in which they're entering this world or which they've been raised or brought up. I think that's a really important thing because, like we said, and when we're creating characters, we think of three dimensions, the physiology, the sociology, which we've covered quite a bit on the podcast as well. And the product of them too is the psychology. And um, yeah. it's really important to to be mindful of the the sort of the society that they're entering into or what happens in their life. It might sort of go from very idyllic to a complete break, breakdown of all sorts of morals and becomes quite lawless. Yeah. There's loads of different variables, but it's being aware yeah. of that sort of journey the character's gone on or will yeah. go on in their life. I think that's hugely important. Yeah, I think it's also really important to realize, though, that like villains aren't always the product of trauma, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, that, you know, if someone comes from like a lot, a lot of privilege, that can actually interfere with their abilities to be empathetic. Um, yeah. And coming from a lot doesn't mean that you're not going to continue to be greedy or selfish or that kind of thing, or even just to continue to say, you know, if we're having, you know, let's go with the, you know, fantasy villain of an evil lord, maybe his dad was the evil lord and he just wants to continue that, right? Um, so you can have someone who's doing these incredibly villainous things who doesn't really have like a super dark backstory from their own perspective, right? <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's, that's that on, yeah. I'm, I'm someone I was going to ask you about as well, with like the different sorts of, you can, I suppose you can look at, so there's like a, a spectrum of villainy, isn't there, where you've got on one end just the, the pure evil bastards that don't really, they don't really need much of a justification for what they're doing, they just, just who they are. <laughs> yeah. um, and then on the other end, there's probably the, the people who, like Heisenberg, I suppose, if you've seen Breaking Bad, I always think he's a great yeah, example absolutely. of uh, someone who's, who's bad, but at the same time, he's not quite as evil as everybody else in that fucking show <laughs> oh yeah coming from but um yeah and so i always w- wonder about like why the or how these characters when we, we get into their heads how how they live with themselves on a day-to-day basis because we're when we're writing from their perspective we've got to know and understand what it's like to be in their shoes and how they live with the the things that they do can you tell us about that yeah, I mean, the, the cognitive dissonance thing I was talking about before, I think, is really key to understanding that. That a lot of the time, if people's actions and their views don't align, they'll change their views, right? So they feel like they're morally in the right, that kind of thing. And then, of course, there are characters who start off thinking that they're in the right. But I think that the more the character is sort of, um, you know, different from the other villains around them or the more recently they've entered the sort of villainous world, the more conflicted they might be. It's, it's sort of the brain adapting to make us not perpetually uncomfortable is, is, is you know, the, the resolving of cognitive dissonance. And also it's super important to realize that a lot of the way we operate in the world is influenced by sort of the norms of our society and our culture. And that yeah. can be, microculture too that can be something you know really small around us right so if you have a character who's sort of you know newly villainous and they're spending all their time with other villainous characters the way that they sort of start to believe that it's normal to operate in society will change right yeah and they'll start to feel like oh you know 
something that they might have previously thought was completely abhorrent, they'll start to think of that as normal. And what kind of, if you were, is there a sort of process that people follow when they go through this change or, I mean, I can imagine it's more, it depends, obviously it depends on the person, but I can imagine it to be more gradual rather than. I would imagine that it's fairly gradual, but it's not necessarily something that I've seen like that much discussed as a process because the main things that I've seen like with the social norms are like, because the way you study them in psychology is typically by artificially altering what people think a norm is and then watching their views change along with it. And that's like fairly sudden. Yeah. Um, but I would imagine that in reality, they, they change more slowly. The, but that's, you know, that's hard to measure under laboratory conditions, if you get what I mean. Yeah. It's very much yeah. like an internal battle, isn't it, between yeah, yeah. what you believe. Yeah, but a lot of like a lot of the time people don't even realize that that battle is going on because there's actually some people within psychology that basically theorize that your opinion isn't really formed until you start thinking about it or until you're asked to think about it. So like if I was going to ask you your view on a particular issue, there's some chance that you're forming that view as you're giving me your answer. Interesting yeah. idea, yeah. We don't necessarily think about every choice we're going to have in life or every view we're going to have before we're presented in a situation where we have to do that as like a snap judgment, right? Yeah. What do you think about a sort of lack of fear of repercussions for your actions? Like you just you feel completely free and unhindered mm -hmm. to do whatever you want. Like it's sort of like a godlike complex, is it? No, yeah, I get where you're coming from. So like... Different people definitely display sort of different amounts of fear, right? Um, that's, that's absolutely a thing. What's really interesting is that a lot of the time, what translates into aggression isn't necessarily fearlessness, it's fear. So it's, it's quite common for um, like people in the U.S., for example, who keep a lot of guns around and sort of fantasize about using them on other people tend yeah. to believe the world is a very dangerous and scary place, right? Yeah, I um, so, I mean, that sort of feeling of invulnerability, that does happen with, with privilege to some extent, um, and that definitely impedes someone's sort of ability to make judgments. Yeah, the sort of, like, action hero type isn't really something that gets studied in political psychology very much. There's a lot of people who will sort of take more aggressive actions because they believe the world is dangerous, but you do have some people who are just sort of thinking, I mean, people do tend to underestimate bad things regarding themselves all the time. Like they, people, people are really bad at judging odds and th that those odds judgments are super biased by emotion and they are biased different <laughs> people. I hope that helps. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and yeah, I think you've, you've covered some great points. And something I wanted to ask you as well. One thing that a lot of villains are good at manipulating other people. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the way that people will gather a following is sort of similar, whether they're doing it for good or for bad, right? So a lot of that is around um, relating yourself to an already existing identity of a group or forming that identity around you, right? So if you are, you know, let's say you're trying to unite a group of people from a village to go do something that you want done, 
you're going to want to make it seem like you're one of them or like you are the way they want to be. You are a positive representation of their identity, that kind of thing, and that you align with their specific ideals. And that that's going to be true, whether it's someone who's heroic, who's in a leadership position or someone who's villainous. A lot of the time um, with, you know, people who do bad things, uh, it does involve sort of warping people's perception of what their self-interest is or what the interests of their community are, right? So, you know, encouraging oppressed communities to see each other as competition rather than allies, that's something a villainous character would do, or, you know, encouraging people to, you know, blame a group who it's not really their fault for their struggles, right? Um, yeah. You know, scapegoating um, is is quite effective, um, and also like framing problems a particular way. So issue framing, like let's say, uh, you know, in your fantasy world, there's a group of people who are going hungry, right? The villain, you know, if you're if you're talking, you know, your hero, the hero could be like, let's go, we're going particularly radical. Um, let's go get all your grain stores back from the Lord who's hoarding them. Um, yeah. <laughs> where the villain might be like, the problem is that this woman who lives on the edge of your village has put a spell on everything. Um, and that, you know, that woman actually hasn't and then gets the villagers to go, you know, kill yeah, her or something. Yeah. And, and whole groups can be scapegoated like that. And that's definitely something that, that villains do a lot. They'll try and redirect people's anger when the anger might be justified towards sort of the wrong group, the wrong source in a way that isn't really going to help those people, but will make them feel like they're doing something about how their lives are. Yeah. I think it's really interesting to look at like cult leaders as well and how they seduce people into doing anything that comes to mind they will do, you know, that kind of the yeah, gurus yeah. in India as well. There's some really cool documentaries about like how people just like left everything to go and follow them and like that sort of connecting with people on on that level. That yeah, I mean, fascinating. Like really I don't know. It is super interesting. Yeah. Like yeah. to to sort of have that sway over them. But that's what yeah. a lot of villains possess, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I think part of that, I mean, part of that is like charisma, and that's that's hard to measure. But part of that is also like, I think. You know, if you encourage people to sink a lot of things into something like a cult or a villainous cause, they're more likely to stick with it, right? Especially if their identity gets tied up in it, especially if their social network is there. Um, so, like, your villainous character is probably going to be encouraging their minions to cut ties with people outside the villainous organization, right? Unless those ties are useful for something. So I wanted to ask you as well about... The sort of more more grey villains, the ones who maybe they were there, they should they shouldn't quite be. They've they've been led astray, or some kind of situation has uh, has pushed them to the darker side of life. What can you tell us about these kind of characters? Well, I feel like a lot of the time that might be a product of you know them pursuing their own self interest, at least starting out, or possibly sort of having fallen in with a bad crowd. I mean, that does happen to people, you know, a lot in reality. They'll find community in a community that is toxic or has bad goals or that kind of thing. And then you can also come to characters that have, you know, a different moral and ethical code than the characters, but still have a code, right? 
so that 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 can be an interesting thing, especially if they still have you know some sort of sense of honor. Yeah, I always think. Uh, I don't know if you ever seen The Wire. Uh, Omar Little. No, I actually haven't seen The Wire. I swear, I've seen things. I just haven't. I keep not having seen the things you're mentioning. Yeah. Well, if you anyone out there listening, if you've never seen The Wire and you want to learn about how to create characters, every character in in that show is phenomenal. And there's so so much life behind what you see on the screen. It's insane. But one of the characters, Omar Little, he robs drug dealers. So he goes around killing people. He's a bit of a Robin Hood figure. So any, any well, whatever he, he makes, he gives back. Yeah. You're like So he's a really interesting character. And that sort of contradiction that he's still going around killing people, but at the same time, he's... Yeah. Yeah, and actually... Uh... Um, you mentioned the wire reminded me. I think it's also really important to keep in mind that, you know, in reality, a lot of the time people are made to do things like crime, especially, you know, lower level crime, because they're sort of forced into it by circumstance or they don't have a lot of other options. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think that carries over into the fantasy world too, um, assuming things like poverty exist in your fantasy world. Yeah. I think, to be honest, I was thinking about this too. I, I don't really think that stories like this about the the impoverished people or the people at the bottom and while there's always the sort of the orphan kid who's got magical powers and rises up from nothing to, to become biggest best wizard in the world I, yeah. I i love the stories about the ordinary folk and these sort of these tales of, of struggles and stuff like that like yeah like people living in poverty have to face every day and that's what i'd love to see more of in fantasy and yeah no it would be a great thing to see more of in fantasy i think a lot of the time you know fantasy can be sort of old-fashioned in the way that it really focuses on like you know the elite or that you know people will become you know aristocrats or whatever by the end of the story yeah <laughs> that's the that's the end game eh? yeah Being a lord and getting <laughs> well, a castle. I mean, it's the only way to have happily ever after in a feudalist system just about right i know i know <laughs> So you mentioned there about self-interest being one of the, the main driving forces for a lot of these sort of grey villains. So can you tell us a bit more about self-interest and, and how powerful a motivation that is for people? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's some dispute about how powerful a motivation it is when it comes to, like, political decision-making. But most political decision-making is very different than, like, the decision about whether or not to, like, I don't know, rob someone or something like that, is it tends to have sort of smaller personal consequences, right? But if you do pr- if you do phrase an issue more personally, people do tend to be um, a bit more self interested and relate things more to their their own circumstances. Um, self interest is actually kind of a hard thing to define, and it's also important to realize that like people may not be able to perfectly figure out what their self interest even is because they could have limited information, all that kind of thing. But also like you know, are we can't what? How are we thinking about you know collective interest and what's the collective there, right? So like, there is some dispute about whether self interest should also include the interest of your community and that kind of thing, right? Because that can also be a really big motivator, or you know, the interests of other people you care about, right? So you could even have like a you know a villainous character who you know has somewhat altruistic motives like you know they have a particular family member they care about right and that can motivate their villainy in some ways right yeah and then also like 
you do come to the question of like whether two people in identical material circumstances are going to have the same self-interest, right? Uh, you know, how you factor in their morality and that kind of thing and, and variance and, and preferences that they have. Um, but that, that'll leave you off track from fantasy writing pretty fast there if you keep going <laughs> your philosophical route there, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting because I want to sort of segue into the the other side of the of the, the coin and the good guys and the motivations and the mindsets that they have. And you mentioned mm-hmm. their collective interests and I think what you said about like villains can have collective interest as well and they might it might be for a few individuals or it could be for an entire country. It just shows you how blurred the line can be. I think that that collective interest thing is a really big thing in heroic motivations, but someone can also be, you know, self-interested in a way that's heroic if, you know, things line up a particular way. You know, sometimes, you know, in your very simple, you know, fantasy story where, you know, the villain kills the hero's family or something, you know, the hero can start off just trying to save their own skin, right? Or they maybe have like a, a different motivation, like they want to be a powerful wizard or something. You know, so they don't have to start out with a heroic motivation in order to be the hero. But I think that what makes them heroic a lot of the time is sort of the the selflessness, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think you have to, like, you know, think about your hero's values and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. That is, you know, important. And are they, would these be values then that you things that make people likable? Um, like, um, like you say, being selfless and... Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I guess I was thinking more about like their moral code and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like things like selflessness and caring for others and stuff does make someone likable, right? But you can, I guess, you can have a hero who's not like a super likable person on an interpersonal level, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I think that, you know, there are reasons not to do that, right? Because if someone's a good person, they are probably going to make an effort to be nice to the people around them. Thinking that the people around you are kind of scum is one of the ways to end up being vaguely villainous, right? So, like, <laughs> you know, you could definitely have a hero who's, like, socially inept, but if they just sort of hate everyone, they're probably not going to be that heroic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Think I feel like I've read so many stories where there's, like, you know, some guy who's, like, real gruff and everything doesn't get along with everyone and this is supposed to be the hero you're supposed to look up to especially in like stories that are like really really oriented around like men and masculinity you know what i mean like the idea that like niceness is weakness and like that's just not true (laughs) yeah definitely yeah but i think it still it still exists especially in the mindset of a lot of men and that's as it starts it's starting to melt away and erode it's interesting to see the, the hangover and the, the the contrast between this sort of newer, more accepting attitudes from like the younger generations and then the hardline approach from the I suppose it's always been like that though. Maybe it is just as you get old you become more of an ass. Yeah, I guess maybe. I don't know. But I sort of think that uh, I, f- I find a lot of the time that in reality people who are kind of an ass also don't tend to have like a great moral code after all and so i have difficulty conceptualizing of a real person who's intentionally a bit of an ass and also <laughs> heroic you know what i mean yeah <laughs> most definitely well abby it's been fantastic chatting with you again today i've learned so much about villains and i hope you out there i've, I've learned something too 
I think, can you tell us a bit about how we can find out a bit more about your YouTube channel and the kind of stuff that you like to, to the content that you like to create? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think there'll be a link in the description. Yeah. Yeah. Everything will be in the description. Yeah, great. Um, if for some reason you can't find that, if you put in Political Psych with Abby into YouTube, you'll probably find me. Uh, the channel is called Political Psych with Abby. Hopefully there'll be new content by the time this comes out, but I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, the videos take a while. There's a lot of research and stuff involved. But I, I generally try and have one out like every two months. Um, yeah, excellent. Though. So please do go and check them out. Yep. And uh, I've also got uh, I've also got Instagram and Reddit, and I'm thinking you can either get to those from my channel or maybe they'll be linked in the description. Um, yeah, I'll link everything in the description. Fantastic. Yep. Uh, thank you very much, Avi. Oh and, yeah, uh, I forgot one thing. Oh yeah, and if you want to like help me buy books for research and stuff, um, and also just generally support the channel, if you really like what I do, I also have a Patreon. <laughs> nice. Yes, go and check that out, everyone. Oh, yeah. brilliant. Thank you so much, Javi. It's been fantastic chatting with you again. I hope you out there have, listened, uh, have learned something new. And uh, yeah, we'll speak to you next time. A big thank you to Abby for taking the time to chat with me about our villainous characters and our heroes and the, the kind of psychological mindsets or traits that they have. Hopefully that's given you some insight into your own characters and given you some ideas to help better get into their heads to you never know it might make the the characters that you've you've created so far more compelling or it might just help down the line when it comes to writing that next story that next book something that you've listened to here today might might be in your mind and it might just pop up there when you need it most if you have enjoyed today today's show please do consider following or subscribing if you've got uh, a few seconds to spare, a review or a quick rating on Spotify would be absolutely wonderful. Uh, please also share the show with anyone you think may be interested. And if you would like to learn more, either through fantasy writing classes, blog posts and guides, um, or books on writing fantasy, head over to our Patreon page. And don't forget to check out our new well-building resources, as well as a list of fantasy novel publishers. Uh, the links for all of them you can find in the description. Thank you very much for listening today. We'll be back on the 14th of August for an episode that I'm very excited to share with you. It's all about the Knights of the Middle Ages. And we look basically from when knights first came around to where they ended up and um, the whole idea of chivalry. And again, it ties into the, the psychology of characters as well because knights were very, very powerful figures in society and this code of chivalry was intended to keep them in, in check. But as we'll see when Aiden Mattis joins us again, it didn't all work out like that. We've also been welcoming back uh, sociologist M. Beck to the tool shed later in August for a chat uh, again about the, the evil and villainous characters that are so popular in our stories. So do follow, subscribe to make sure you don't miss them. Thank you very much for listening today and keep on scribbling. Mm -hmm.